Yeah. 
name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, He is here with me. I am not alone, oh, His love is sure, and He knows my name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. None above Him, none before Him, all of time in His hands, for His throne it shall remain and never stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in His name. For my God is the Ancient of Days. Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days. None above Him, none before Him, all of time in His hands. For His throne it shall remain and never stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in His name. For my God is the Ancient of Days. For my God is the Ancient of Days. Pure and holy. Holy, holy. 
succeeded. And by the way, the blood drive is the 15th of July, not the 13th. So I'll correct that slide for the next time. But July 15th. Leaning on the Everlasting Arms was written in 1887 by Elisha Hoffman. Deuteronomy 33, 26, and 27 says, There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you, saying, Destroy him. Heavenly Father, there is no other place we want to be than leaning on your strong and everlasting arms. And today, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for being and caring and loving us like you do. We don't deserve it at all, but we thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ, your only Son, who made it possible. Not only are we accepted and loved, but that we are called your children. What a super honor, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless these gifts that are given in gratitude over the many blessings you pour on our lives, both physically, mentally, spiritually. What joy, health-wise. Lord, I just pray for your blessing now upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Sweet to walk in the pilgrim leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path rose from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm.
let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be in your presence this morning. To come and commune with you, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. To know the comfort of your care. And to know that you are a God who is sovereign over all. Nothing rattles you, nothing takes you by surprise. And that, Lord, you know our end from the beginning. And so, Father God, we come to you with great joy on our hearts today. As we lay down to you some of our concerns, our cares, and know you know more intricately than anybody in the world and in the universe what's going on. And your greatness is so awesome, Lord, that we thank you for hearing us. I come to you, Lord, today for our country. The many foibles and problems that it has. I pray for our leadership. That they will come around and see the joy and glory they can have in making this a great nation. And keeping the values of Christ and the great God who gave us the Ten Commandments. We pray, Father God, too, for those who guard and protect us every day. It's just so phenomenal that these people who are strangers, we just dial three numbers. And they will come to our aid and help us in any situation that's problematic. And today, Heavenly Father, we lift up our shut-ins, Bill and Lucille and Joyce and Karen, who want to be here but can't because of ailment. We pray especially for this week, as we had seen our friend Everett had surgery this week and had part of his lung removed. We pray they got rid of all the cancer. And for healing, be with Sharon and those who minister to him. Bring healing to him, Lord. We also pray for Joyce and her healing and for Howard and his healing. We thank you that Judy is back with us and walking very well. And we pray, thank you for healing Todd O'Gile. We pray for his wife, Angie, as she's battling cancer. And for also Samantha and Jason Stevens and Jordan Rickles and Mark Dops, all who are battling cancer in an intense way. We pray also, too, for Kurt. His dad, as his dad is not doing well in the hospital, we just pray that you be with Kurt and for the family, the Greer family, as they walk this journey together. We pray also for Leanne, who had knee surgery and for her recovery and healing. I pray for a daughter, Amy, and a husband, Matt, who are going through a difficult time right now and we just pray that, Lord, the surgery and the procedure that they have will work and that you'll give them a wonderful gift. We pray also, too, for those that we know, that we love, that are battling addiction. We lift up Jordan and Ryan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch and also a young man by the name of Tyler this week. Jesus, just help these people who are under the bondage. And for those who are living 
every day, one day at a time. Continue to give them the strength that they need, Lord. I pray also, too, for the devastation of many families in this country again this week. Officers who's been shot and killed. Children who've been killed. Adults. I just pray for this country to see the moral values that have been thrown out the window and need to be brought back. That people understand the nature of their, themselves and how sinful they are. And turn from their wicked ways. And also us, Lord, that we will walk in your way too and turn from our ways. And today, Lord, we thank you for your word. As you come to us and share with us such important things about our own personal lives that we need to change. We need to do differently. Even though, Lord, sometimes we get a little arrogant and think we got it down, we don't. And I thank you for your word that continues to remind us of that. Now, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear what we need to hear from you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Are there sins in your life that you find that are acceptable to keep? You find in your life as a Christian that there are certain sins that you're comfortable with. Sorry, I have to use this because my back is bothering me again. Jerry, Sitz, Jerry Bridges wrote a book back in 2014. The name of the book is Sin We Accept. Oh boy. And the question he asked Christians, are we preoccupied with the major sins in our society? And yet, we have our own respectable sins. He turns, and Jerry was, has always been great in writing about God's holiness, but he also speaks about sin that we get sometimes pretty comfortable with in our own lives. And it's easy to look at them out there. And some of those sins, he said, are jealousy, anger, pride, judgmentalism, unthankfulness. Those are some of the topics that he not only wrote a book called Respectable Sins, but then he wrote a pamphlet of Sins We Accept. And he tears apart and looks in our lives, in his own life, as a strong believer who's been in the trenches for many years and striving to live a holy life, but still missing God's mark. But then he shows us the mercy and the grace of the gospel that we're thankful for. That God works in our lives as we move along this journey as believers to become closer and closer and be like Jesus and relinquish those. And that's what today is going to happen today with us. In fact, in the next six weeks, Jesus, or eight weeks I guess it will be, and Jesus comes to us and reveals that to us. Now, if you remember, we were on this journey of he walked among us. And 
Jesus began at his baptism. And if you remember, he was affirmed by his father in heaven and said, this is my beloved son. We also know that he affirmed him joining with us because he was baptized. But right after that, he was taken into the wilderness and tempted for 40 days. And we saw three little episodes of that that's recorded in Matthew's gospel of the temptations that were being thrown at Jesus. And as we know what Luke had said at the end of that, he said it wasn't over then. He's just going to look for another opportune time. And we as Christians should realize that too. That Satan is always going to look for another opportune time to get you to stumble and to fall. And that right after that, Jesus chose his disciples. And then he goes up into the mountain. And we know the word for this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's titled. Augustine titled it. But really, it's really Jesus' discipleship for his true disciples. Because really, he was speaking to the 12 men who had committed themselves to following him. And this is Jesus' words to us as his disciples in our world today. And how we're to live. And if you remember, he began in chapter 5, the beginning with the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, the attitudes we should be. And he begins by telling us that we're blessed in the third person because when we are, realize how poor we are spiritually and how much we need him as our Savior to forgive us. And that how blessed we are when we mourn over our sins and Blessed are we when we're meek, not weak, but meek. We have the power behind us of God, but we withhold it and use it properly for God's honor. Then if you know and you remember, he moves on to the second person and says, Now you, us, the church, are the soul of the earth. We're the preservative in society. We're the ones who cleanse Salt in that days was a valuable commodity. In fact, they even paid soldiers with salt. And they would rub the salt into the meat so that it would preserve and not get decay. And we are supposed to be thrown into the society that we're in as the salt to keep it from decaying and putting forth the truth of God out there in the world. Then he says, also, you are the light. That means we are exposing the darkness. And that we walk in the light and we show the world what it's like to see clearly and not to stumble in the darkness. But then he goes now today. And last week he also finished up with his, that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes who were very meticulous about following God's law. And very careful about what they did. But Jesus knew that there's a difference. Because what he's saying is that not only following the action. But our hearts as Christians by the Holy Spirit make it a different world. And Jesus is going to explain that in the next six examples he's going to give us. And he says that he's the Messiah... And that he's come not to destroy the law that Moses gave, but to make it fuller. Not only did he fulfill the prophetic work that was said about him hundreds of years of coming, and he fulfilled that, 
But he's also going to show us how he fulfilled the meaning and the purpose of the law to its fullest extent. And Jesus is not here like some revolutionaries would and, and re-engineers a whole new ethic and moral value that they're trying to do to us now in our society and take us out of the Judeo-Christian heritage that we were raised in. But Jesus is saying, no. He says, I came here to fulfill the law to show you its fullness because it's from my father and me, our hearts. And this is the way it is. And so Jesus wants them to understand. He wants them to take it to the next level. Which the Pharisees and the Sadducees can't because their spirit is not for God. And here these disciples and us who have the Holy Spirit in our life. We're to be different. Because we have the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's just not the action. Jesus says it goes deeper than that. You know people love rules. And it's wonderful to have rules because then they don't have to think. And a terrible example of this was in Portland, Oregon. A man pulled in the parking lot of a hospital, was outside the emergency room and was having a heart attack. But the rule of the hospital was that the emergency workers in the emergency could not go out and help him. That was a rule of the hospital. Only if EMS brought him in can they work on him. And they got there and they were worried. They wanted to get them out there, but they couldn't. And the man died because he didn't get enough help that he needed. That's when laws that are simple and easy to keep become foolish. Because they make no common sense. And Jesus says it's more than just what Moses said. It's bigger than that. And it's not just enough to not physically kill somebody, which is definitely wrong, because you're killing a person who's been made in the image of God. But also, he says, what you do in your mind, how you slay a person in your heart when you're angry or when you're mad. The attitude of your heart, the spirit that's in you is not from the Holy Spirit. And there are times that people have to be killed. And, and we will see in, in the newer translation, it is right, where it says, thou shalt not murder. An older translation says, thou not kill. But really, that's not the full intent of what Jesus is talking about. And that's not what the Bible talks because there are just wars. I've been, in training, I've been in sessions here where after police have had to kill somebody. And they come to me and they say, as we're sitting in the group and defragmenting them and helping them to get near this thing of having to kill somebody, which they did, that they didn't break the law of God. They didn't murder them. They saved lives. In wars, killing is okay. And Jesus says, but murder... And so are our attitudes if they're not right with God. And so Jesus is going to take six important commands from the Old Testament. 
and show us the greater picture that God has. The greater examples that he has. Because what he says is, you have heard, and they had all kinds of Talmud and everything that was written about that. They heard it from their heritage. But I say to you, and he's not saying that some, some commentators that are liberal will say, no, Jesus is trying to reset the whole thing and to point to him. No. Jesus is explaining what it's really meant to be. And what it's meant to be is that when we hate somebody, when we have anger towards somebody, and it's not right-hearted, we are taking somebody in God's image and throwing them to the ground. And so Jesus begins to us and he says, You have heard it said to those of old their heritage of what they say. You shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable of judgment. Now, Jesus immediately upholds the law. Killing somebody for no permanent reason is terrible. You're taking somebody out who was made and created in the image of God. But then, that you do that, you're liable of God's judgment. And we see the command originally in the English Standard Version, where they say, you shall not murder. We even hear it explained before the Ten Commandments were given in Genesis chapter 9. Where we see, and for the lifeblood I will require a reckoning. For every beast I will require it, and from a man. And from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for his life, a man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man shall, by man shall that blood be shed, for God made man in his image, own image. Do you see why it was so important? Now people will say, well how is that if, if, if we're executing people... We're taking their lives. And their life is important. They've been made in the image of God. But if you look what God says here, what about the victim? How valuable is his life? And that's why God says his life shall be shed. Because God made him what? In his own image. And that's why... It is wrong when somebody takes somebody else's life, the Bible here says, and even with an animal, has to be taken. Because that person who was the victim was made in the image of God. And Jesus upholds that. But then Jesus wants to take us and the Pharisees and the disciples beyond this perfunctory or what they would call superficial obedience just to killing somebody. And it's easy when you keep it narrow, you see, because you can then say to people, I've never murdered anybody. <laughs> when I go out and share with people the gospel, 
You tell them that they're sinners, they're sinner. I've never murdered anybody. No, you haven't physically. But take them to the Sermon on the Mount. And let them score themselves and they will be shocked. And Jesus shows us and them and our disciples, as disciples what the Spirit of the Lord really says. And we see that in Matthew 5.22. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause. And that was basically from older manuscripts. And that King James includes that because it explains what Jesus is meaning here. The older manuscripts don't have without cause in it. But some commentator, some scribist wrote that in. And the one that King James used illustrates that what it's without cause. Will be liable of judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable of the council. The Sanhedrin. And whoever says fool is liable. And the word there is raka. To hell of fire. This is how serious it is for Jesus. And that we have to settle the matter in our hearts, he's saying here. And there's two words used for anger in the Bible. One is quick anger. Goes off to like that. There is a long anger that's festering and is in our hearts and causes our own hearts to be sick. Because our hearts are troubled about the person that we don't like. And the fool. Now, now Jesus used the word fool. The Bible uses the word fool. Because it's justified. When they apply it, it's righteous anger. But for most of us, as we're pulling out of the parking lot here, <laughs> we might say it for the wrong reason. Because they got in our way. They cut us off. And Jesus here is telling us. He's telling us about our brothers. First John 3.15 And anyone who hates his brother is what? A murderer, John tells us. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Jesus really makes the impact on John and the whole Bible. <laughs> Which is easier to not do? Physically murder somebody? Or is it easier to say, you jerk? Or you knucklehead? Because somebody's gotten in our way. And Jesus tells us, of course, that we are to be perfect as he and the Father are perfect. And we know we can't. We know we have the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. But as his followers, we're to walk in a different way and be the light to the world. We are to be the salt of the world. And we're not to act that way. We're not to call him stupid or idiot. Lame brain. 
blockhead. Those are all familiar terms that we all are familiar with. When we go to school or we go to university or when we go to work or we go home, even in our spiritual life, it's easy to be a minimalist, which means just keep it to what the Pharisees wanted was just physical murder. But when Jesus opens the door up here, he's got us all and our attention. And I can tell you the times that I've, and times I don't even remember, I might have even said it about somebody who is made in the image of God. And Jesus calls us and says, let your righteousness surpass the Pharisees. He speaks to us very clearly. He gives us an expression of this. I mean, how many times, don't raise your hand, where you sit in front of the TV and you came angry at a president, whether it be Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and you feel like you say something in your mind, you say, what is wrong with these people? And in political parties, we see it on the internet all the time. And yet they're made in the image of God too. I know a friend who really carried a bitterness toward a seminary professor because he didn't get the grade he wanted and threw off him from the grade scale. He was angry with that guy. And boy, when he sat down to do the end of the class and write out that guy's survey, (laughs) he said some things that weren't good. There may be some people in here who might be angry with God because he's not giving you what you want. And you need to take that to him. You know, in our society, we talk about, well, people are going through stress and they're going through tough times. and It doesn't matter. It's obedience here. Now, there are times that there is okay to be angry. And not sin. We see it in Jesus when he turns the tables over. Because they took the house of God and made it into a den of iniquity. They were selling things at inflated prices and they were also ripping off the poor. And Jesus was upset about how they even handled themselves in the house of God. And Jesus says to us, These are the reasons when it's sinful, our anger, when there's no reason. Or he says, without cause, as the King James tells us. We have really no reason, but we just get annoyed at that person. Or when we disproportionately give it out our anger. I've seen it happen in my own life that my child has made me embarrassed and 
I maybe overspanked him too much. Because he made me embarrassed. And I had to confess that. I was so, I'm not going to talk about it. The Bible also says when it's out of control. When we're anger goes to sleep without settling it with your mate or with a friend. We know the scripture says when we're out of control, that should not be a believer, a disciple of Jesus. We're people who are to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those is self-control. And when there's no relation to holiness... Jesus got grieved. Why? Because the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees that would not accept his truth. And Ephesians 4 tells us too, when we allow our anger to fester and digs deep inside of us and we hold the grudge and Paul writes so well in Ephesians, he says, be careful that Satan doesn't get a foothold of you and play you when you allow anger, animosity to fester inside of you towards somebody. Satan is grabbing a hold of you and you don't want to let it go and he is pleased about that. When your brother or sister has done something to you. I was with a friend not long ago who his brother cheated him. With a lawyer. Out of a good portion of his father's will. Or parents. You know sometimes we get angry at our child. And we say and do things, and really it's because we're a little bit lazy and we don't want to really sit them down and discipline them. You know, children love it when you let them have um, Mountain Dew for breakfast and chocolate cake and brownies. But when you say no, <laughs> that's when their anger shows. You see, Jesus is coming to this and he said, when you say Raka, are you fool? He's saying, this is a destroyer of a person's life rather than being a person who builds somebody up. And that your anger has working towards destruction. And he says, you need to confess it. Then he comes to us and gives us two illustrations. And he says to us, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you. And, and notice Jesus now reverses the roles. He's saying if somebody's got something against you. Earlier on in 18, he says, if you got something against somebody else, first go to them and talk with them about it and resolve it and then come to church and put your offering down. And he's saying here, if you know somebody's got something that to do, go to them. 
so that before you give to the Lord. Because the Lord's not going to accept that. So he says, leave your gift before the altar. And cut out a church early so you can fix this with this person. And then come back and give your offering. Notice what he says. He says, first, be reconciled. Make it right. Figure it out. Leave the gift before you give it because God's not going to accept that gift. It's a hypocrisy. I mean, we've seen it in the Bible, have we not? People like Saul thought because his men were leaving and he was going to possibly lose this war, that he would have a religious ceremony and sacrifice and not wait for Samuel like he was supposed to and disobeys God and thinks that the religious thing is going to do it for him and it's going to give him and he realizes when Samuel comes up to him and said, Hey, bud, what have you done? Sacrifice is not come before obedience. You have to obey me and show that. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. I can tell you. And the Bible says here, as in, in Romans chapter 12, it says to us, as long as it depends on you, us Christians, whether they agree with us or not, we have an ought with somebody, we need to go to them and make it right. I never was more aware of this in my life. When I was working in my ministry in New Jersey and there were two gals at different times in their, my experience there that had been molested by their dads. And working with a Christian counselor and them, there's a point where we said, let's go to your dad. And let me tell you, the first one was really ugly because the father basically kicked us out of the house and said it was a lie and that I'm going to go to hell, me personally, for bringing her to confront him about that. She was devastated. And we talked about it and I said, but the Bible says here, you did the right thing. You're giving him an opportunity to confess his sin. And as the Bible said, as it depends on you, you did the right thing before God. Now the ball is in his court. And you don't have to allow him to have any control over your life anymore. The other girl went and her father broke down and confessed. And both of them were obedient to God. And that. And here Jesus is saying to us, <laughs> go to them who've hurt you. Build back that relationship. Not with your anger, but with your love. Deal with that broken relationship as much as it is you. You see, people don't understand that our grudge holders, 
that what they're doing is they're letting that person get them a second time. Because that grudge that is being held by that person, the grudge is holding that person into the sickness that they were put in a second time. And when they can forgive it, let it go. They're free. And notice what the Bible says, be reconciled to your brother and then come with your gift. That's what makes it right before God. And then he says, come to terms quickly with your accusers while you are going to him to court. Now it's a legal matter. Lest your accusers hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and they put you in prison. And we can easily be held in a prison of, of basically revenge, grudges, bitterness. And Jesus doesn't want us to be in the dungeon. He wants us to be free. Some of you may not have given your life to Christ because you're angry with God. Come to terms with that and talk to him and, and let him change your heart. And set you free. And give you the life he wants to give you. Eternal life. Settle the matter with your adversary. Before even or she takes you to court. Peter says this. Dear friends I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. That's what we are. We do things differently folks. That's what Jesus is saying here. So that our good deeds can be seen by the world and that we glorify God in the way we handle life. And that we know that we truly are loved by our Father. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to act beyond our selfish, angry selves. As somebody who's getting in our way or somebody we just don't like. It's the way they act. And it's easy for us to kind of in our minds do away with them and call them an idiot or say, oh, they don't know what they're doing anyway. And Jesus says, go and do it quickly. You see, because it's very easy and you know it and I do. How many people dismiss anger? When they say, well, that person was pushing my buttons. <laughs> you mean to tell me you gave them that power to make you act a certain way? That's what you're saying here. You're saying they made you do it? Nobody makes you do anything. Not even Satan can't make you do anything. So you got it wrong here. And you're trying to dismiss from your life. Or I just had to blow off steam. As it's the stress that made you go off on your spouse. Or maybe go off on somebody at work. Because it was just building. No, 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 no. As a Christian, we're supposed to be self-controlled. 
and that the Holy Spirit controlled us. Or I just had to pop off. Well, that's just who I am. I've got a short fuse. And now Jesus doesn't accept that. He says to us, we're to walk like he does and to live in his righteousness. Maybe you know somebody who struggles with this. Are you willing to come alongside them and help them? Deal with their anger? Are you willing to... You know, there's some people who have gone through dysfunctional homes. And they have learned to freeze their feelings. But inside they seethe. And we can help them. Each one of us. You know somebody's got a I used to have a very bad temper. You can ask my lovely wife. When she first met me. She saw a different Dave. And I had to bring that to the Lordship of Christ. And have the Holy Spirit bring that temper down. And, not, and God brought things into my life that really pushed me to teach me self-control. And I needed that. And thank the Lord that she, God appointed her to come alongside of me and help me. And there were other people who came alongside and showed me that I could be different. Maybe you're the person who's called to help that person. Encourage that person. I was reading about a situation of Maurice Cheeks, who was a top NBA point guard and then became the coach of the Portland Trailblazers. And they were in the championship and they were down two games. But just before the third game was to start, there was a little girl, 13 years old, who was going to sing the national anthem. And she got up there with the microphone and froze. And she couldn't sing it. And Coach Cheeks, big, tall, black fella, went up alongside her, put his arm around her. And whispered in her ear the words, Oh, say, can you sing? And with his other hand, he was encouraging the crowd to sing with him. And he says, I can't hold a tune in a bucket. <laughs> but she could. And he encouraged her to sing that. And she did it. And the crowd joined her. And encouraged her to do what was right. And folks, as salt and light, guess what? We're to be those kind of encouragers. 
to help those people who have that anger issue or that issue of in their hearts seething and bitterness towards someone that we know that's made in the image of God. Be the soul and the light. Let's pray together. Father, today we are so grateful for your word. Sometimes, Lord, when we come to you, we realize how poor we are spiritually. And how we need your help every day. I ask you, Jesus, to help us to walk in the ways that you desire for us. Help us, Lord, to let your light shine out in that world. Help us to stand for truth. And to live as we should, Jesus. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. As they go out into the world and the people that they touch. That Jesus, that you'll use them for your glory and honor. And it's in your name we can possibly do this. Amen. Let's please rise and close with our singing and our benediction. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Shine in your hearts to bring his glory to this world. In the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing.